Hi, everybody. It is July 10th. Hope you're having a good weekend. This is the weekly roundup. So I took off last week. Um, it was a holiday weekend. Uh, we were out of town. I'm also wrapping up the end of a summer semester here teaching and preparing for some interviews and for a kind of more in-depth series that's going to be coming out in the future. So uh, I just decided to take the week off, but uh, I'm back now. Now, last week was July 4th, and this was really the first July 4th um, since I've really thought much about California independence or about CalExit. And the last summer on July 4th was during the protests and uh, everything that was going on during the beginning of the pandemic. And I think last summer was an interesting time. I think it revealed a lot about the country. I know that um, it changed the way I feel about the country a lot. And I think that we saw a lot of these divisions that had been papered over for a long time really come to our attention in a way that uh, it hadn't before with everything that was going on. And this past holiday, July 4th, it was interesting because, as I said, this is the first July 4th holiday where I've really been conscious of the fact that I think California needs to go its own way. And it's interesting because, of course, every July 4th, um, in addition to all the usual holiday stuff, and you know, who doesn't like the holiday stuff? I like the holiday stuff as much as anyone else. But there's also a lot of songs, you know, there's a lot of reciting of documents and patriotic uh, propaganda and traditions and so forth. And a lot of that really strikes me in a different tone this year compared to previous years. And this is something that uh, I think people should think about when you hear these songs, when you when you hear words from documents and you hear words like liberty and freedom and all of these great uh, so-called great aspects of the country, I think we should stop and think about, do these words really mean the same thing to us as they mean to everyone else? Take the word freedom, for instance. So over the holiday, I don't know how many times you hear about freedom, that we're celebrating July 4th because we're a free country and we have so much freedom. And, uh, you know, people fought to defend our freedom. Stop and think about what that word means, what it means to you, what you think it means to the rest of the country. And does it mean the same thing to you? I have to think it's a little jarring that a country that celebrates freedom so much seems to have so many aspects of things that are not free, you know, in my view. How can you be free when you live in a surveillance state? How can you be free when you could be bankrupt from medical bills? How can you be free when you can't get an education without going massively into debt? How can you be free without consumer protections, without regulations to protect the environment. 
this is the way that I would look at freedom. And so I don't see the United States going down a direction of being free or promoting freedom. So when July 4th comes around and you hear all this talk about how free we are as a country, you have to stop and think, does the rest of the country have a different idea of what freedom is? Maybe we're using the same words, but we're not really meaning the same thing. Same thing with something like liberty. What kind of liberty do we have? We have the liberty to fend for ourselves and fight for crumbs in this hyper-free market capitalist economy that leaves everyone on their own. A system that has one set of laws for for rich people and connected people, and another set of laws for ordinary people. How much liberty is there in that? How much justice is there in that? So again, when you hear these words, when you hear recitations from the Declaration of Independence or other writings, just stop and think. If these people really believe what they're saying, if they really believe what they're saying about what they think the country stands for and what they're really celebrating. Why are they celebrating it? What are they celebrating? And maybe they mean something different when they're talking about these things compared to what, what we mean. You know, I thought up until um, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, that despite the political differences in the country, I thought, maybe we all shared some kind of fundamental foundational core set of beliefs about what we have in common, about what are the basic principles of the country. And we disagreed over policy. Some people like more taxation, less taxation. Some people like a little more regulation, less regulation. We differ on different social issues. So we have disagreements about policy, but but I thought we were all on the same page about the basic principles of the country and what we take as the kind of axioms of how our society should be run. And come to find out, it seems like we actually don't agree on those things. It seems like um, half the country has a different idea about what's important, about fundamental ideas like, I don't know, voting, due process civil liberties, the rights of marginalized people, um, basic social safety net. seems like these are kind of things that turns out we disagree on. And it seems like this disagreement has gone back further than before Trump goes back further before even I was born. This seems to go back a long time. We never really seem to agree on these things from the very beginning. So that's something as you think back over the July 4th weekend, just think about what you thought you were celebrating, what you think is important, and ask yourself, does that really line up with what everybody else in the country thinks about what they think is important? And don't just assume that because people use the same words that they're actually saying the same thing. Okay, in other news, um, in the last two weeks since uh, we talked last, the New York Times put together a video essay on January 6th, on 
the Capitol insurrection. And I really don't mean to go on and on about this um, because, you know, I think there's a lot of problems with the country. And I think the Democratic Party has uh, a lot of responsibility in the problems that we're having. And so I don't want to come across as I'm just some partisan that's beating up on the Republican Party or beating up on the right wing uh, in America. And at the same time, I think this is something we really need to talk about. Yes, it's easy to to focus on this and be distracted from uh, other issues that are going on, other problems that have to be addressed. But this is also a problem. And I think it's part of a larger problem that we have in this country. And this is not just a problem with the right wing. It's not just a problem with uh, the GOP or with uh, the Trump wing. This is a problem across the political spectrum. And that is that it's very easy for us to get sucked into false narratives, into distractions, it's very easy to lie to yourself about what's going on and not stay focused on, on the reality that's right in front of your face. We really, have to, we really have to live in the real world. And it seems to me that a lot of people are not really living in the real world and being honest with themselves about what's going on around them. On the right, uh, we have kind of a complete uh, denial of what happened on January 6th, we have, um, you know, a number of people saying that this, this was just like a normal tourist visit. You know, this was no big deal. This was, um, this was just some, something that happened and, uh, you know, we can put it behind us. And this is why things like this video essay are so important. And I'll put a link to it. You really need to go and watch it. Because this is the hard evidence of what happened on that day. And this is something I've heard even among some people on the left. It seems like their, their contempt for the Democratic Party or for um, the establishment has so blinded them, they've become so enraged by it, that they discount any kind of threat from the from the fascist right. And I think this is this is a big mistake. Um, just because you see MSNBC and CNN going on for hours and hours and hours about January 6th and about Trump and blah 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 doesn't mean that it's not a big deal. Okay, we have to we have to be able to chew gum and walk at the same time. We don't have to reflexively react against everything that the liberal establishment says. And this is, again, why I think this video essay that the New York Times made is so important, because when you watch it, you are, again, confronted with evidence of what actually happened. And we're finding more and more information out that this was not just a spontaneous outburst. This was not just um, an event that got out of control a bit. There was planning behind this. There, were, there was organization behind this. And the president knew about it ahead of time. His staff knew about it. And they did nothing to uh, prevent it or to stop it or to mitigate the circumstances. 
and they did everything they could to encourage it. And no, I don't think it ever had a real chance of succeeding. That's not the point. When you look at fascism, it tends to come in waves, right? So there's an initial wave that may seem a bit cartoonish, a bit clownish, because let's be honest, fascists are kind of clownish figures. They may start out with minimal support. They may be very marginal in electoral politics. And it may appear that their their efforts are, you know, kind of doomed to failure, that they're it's it's kind of a clown show. But this has been the pattern with fascism many different places. It always starts off the same. It starts off small. It starts off marginalized. It starts off clownish. It starts off cartoonish. It starts off easy to dismiss and easy to minimize. And I think that's a mindset that we really have to be resistant to. This needs to be taken seriously. This is a real movement. It's not going anywhere. It may take different forms. It may have different leaders. But it's here to stay. And we got to deal with it. And pretending that what happened on January 6th is an aberration or it really wasn't a big deal or, you know, all these kind of rationalizations and justifications, whether it's from the Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity on the right, or whether it's from some of these people on the left who are downplaying it. I think that's a big mistake. Now, I said this problem of not living in the real world was not just exclusive to the right. Let's talk about how some people on the other end of the political spectrum are not living in reality. Let's talk about how some liberals or even so-called leftists or progressives are ignoring what's right in front of their face. What should be the biggest stories in the country right now? Well, I think it's the fact that we're in the middle of an eviction crisis. Uh, We have hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people uh, getting thrown out of their homes. This is a story that very few media outlets or journalists are are covering very much. Uh, Someone who's done a really good job on this is Jordan Sheridan at Status Coup. He's done a lot of on-the-ground reporting. This should be the number one story in the country right now. I don't see people talking about it. It seems like everybody just thinks Biden's doing fine. Biden's doing great. We just ignore these crises that are right in front of our face because we got Trump out. What about homelessness? What about student debt? What about credit card debt? What about the massive amount of private debt in the country? This is another big problem that I don't hear many people talking about. What's going to happen when there's more of a significant downturn in the economy? What's going to happen with all these people with this debt? The deferral on the student loan payments is supposed to expire in just a couple months. So that means a lot of people now are going to be paying hundreds more dollars every month that they haven't been for about a year. How is that going to affect the economy? I don't hear anybody talking about that. 
What about elite control fraud? This is something that uh, Steve Grumbine and real progressives have been covering a lot recently. I don't hear many people talking about that. This is another huge story in the country. So there's all these problems and crises in the country that are right in front of people's faces and they're not thinking about. People are still in a honeymoon phase with Biden, I guess, but uh, eventually the chickens are going to come home to roost on many of these things and then it'll be really too hard to ignore and people will say, why didn't we see this coming? Well, you can see it coming if you're looking. You're just choosing not to look at it. It's another example of Americans just not living in the real world. One of the podcasts I listen to is, um, it's called Straight White American Jesus. And they cover some of the Christian nationalist uh, movement in the country. And it's a very good podcast. I would recommend it, and you go and listen to it. But they had a discussion last week, and it's funny because they use a similar kind of analogy that I've used and that other Californians have used when describing what's going on in the country. So use the analogy of a family. And they say, look, when you have a loved one who is misbehaving, who's doing bad things, who's being irresponsible, who's hurting others, you don't worry about hurting their feelings. You don't worry about what their reaction is going to be. You have to sit them down and talk to them. And you have to say, look, you have a problem. We need to talk about it. And this was the point that they were making on their last episodes. If you have a family member that has a problem, if you really care about them, you don't just ignore it. You don't just pretend it's not there. You have to deal with it, and you have to criticize them, and you have to confront them on it. And I would agree with that. The only addition or modification I would make to that is we've already tried that. We've gone through this over and over again. You know, how many times have we tried to deal with racism, deal with voting rights, deal with civil rights, deal with trying to get a government that's responsive to the needs of ordinary people? We've been doing this for years and years. We've had these conversations over and over again. We've, we've sat the person down many times and told them, look, this is not working out. Your behavior is not acceptable. We need to have a change. We've had this conversation before. So I guess the only thing I would say where I depart from the commentary that they made in their episode is, how many times do we have to sit down and have this conversation? At some point, even with someone you care about, you have to say, we need to separate. We can still be friends. We can still have you know, interactions. We still have to relate to each other in some way. But we have to admit this is a toxic relationship. We need a divorce. I mean, I don't wish harm on America. And I hope it figures out its problems. But it doesn't seem to be doing it right now. It's like a toxic relationship with someone who's misbehaving and being irresponsible and it brings you down because 
you're wrapped up in that. And sometimes the best thing that you can do for yourself personally is not to try and sit down with the person and tell them what's up and tell them they need to change. It's, it's to start to remove them from your life and start to take more control over your own life. And yeah, that's the only thing that I would add to the analogy that they were making on their show. And a last item for today. So came across an article that actually mentions the California dream. Now, I don't mean that uh, they mentioned the podcast. That would be great, but it wasn't that. Uh, they were actually mentioning the metaphorical California dream in their article. So the title of the article was California Exodus is just a myth. Massive UC research project finds. So this was um, on July 8th, a couple days ago in San Francisco Gate, SF Gate. Despite the popular belief that residents are fleeing California, there is not, in fact, a statewide exodus. New research out of University of California finds. The results of the project contradict many of the myths surrounding California and its population. And they mention, um, although we have had the recent exodus of Hewlett-Packard and Oracle, there's no evidence of a widespread, quote-unquote, millionaire flight or venture capital flight from the state. There was um, significant net migration out of San Francisco. However, uh, they say about two-thirds of the people who left the city remained in the Bay Area, and 80% stayed in California, which is consistent with earlier trends. In fact, they say that only 23% of California voters said they were seriously considering leaving the state, and that's actually lower than 24% a couple of years earlier. So there is no trend in this direction. This is, this is a media narrative, a media creation that's being perpetuated. The article says, quote, the survey also found that by a two-to-one margin, Californians still believe in the California dream. So here's what they're talking about, the California dream. Belief in that factor changes based on demographics, economic status, and partisan affiliation. For example, white middle-class Californians, white respondents, older people, and Republicans were more pessimistic than Spanish speakers, Latinos, African Americans, Asian Americans, and younger Californians. So I think that's kind of interesting um, and maybe reflects more a difference of opinion on what exactly people mean by the term California dream. Of course, I tend to fall in the more optimistic camp, but I think that depends a lot on the direction we go as Californians and the decisions we're going to make in the near future over the next few months and years. So that's all for me this week. As I said earlier, I'm preparing more of an in-depth kind of mini-series on several different topics coming up, and I'm not sure exactly when I'll be ready to start releasing some of those, maybe in a few weeks, but I'm putting in some extra time into that, so you can look forward to that. And I also hope to be getting some more interviews done over the next couple months and releasing some of those. 
So those are just some of the things that I have planned in the near future. In the meantime, I hope you continue having a great summer. Stay cool. Stay hydrated. Stay safe. I'll talk to you next week.